on your side just in case though no okay yeah i'll just use your file to edit all right we're recording ah all right in five four three two hey y'all welcome to who all gonna be there a podcast by artists for artists we talk cat shit about everything sometimes we get messy and it all counts as art because we say so i'm mel i'm black and a woman and an artist i guess this week i'm a wordle regulation specialist an executive clown, and I'm also the author of Old Ball and Chain, Examining the Mythos and Propaganda of the American Nuclear Family. Yo, Mod Mox here, terrorizing your bandwidth. <laughs> the delivery was bad. I won't try one more time. Okay. <laughs> it's just so embarrassing. You're just making more work for yourself in editing. <laughs> Yo, sorry. Yo, Mad Max here. Terrorizing your bandwidth. How to support NTP? You can support NTP by becoming a patron. Check out, check out, check us out on Patreon. Um, we have our exclusive book of sedition zines, our explicit behind the paywall podcast. We get extra mess- messy. Shop our Etsy, full of totes, buttons, and various NTP publications, including Black Abbey about the Black Abbey residency. Shout out Sharita Town. Find us on iTunes and all streaming platforms. Leave a review and send comments, questions to natturnerproject0 at gmail.com. All right. And today we are chopping it up with an old friend, artist and printmaker, Alejandra Arias Sevilla. Hey, Alejandra, how are you? Doing good, thanks. How are you, Mel? Good. Yeah, doing well. Excited for today. Yeah. Um, So Alejandra Arias Sevilla is an interdisciplinary artist and printer based in Portland, Oregon. She investigates semantics, familiar spaces, and personal history to reflect and analyze the language that knits her selfhood. These are rooted in the storytelling of her grandmothers, her childhood in Mexico, and the complexities of the color blue. Her work has been shown with Nat Turner Project, Black Fish Gallery, and Converge 45. 
She earned her degree at Pacific Northwest College of Art, and she is the 2021 awardee of the Undergrowth Educational Print Fund at Malawi Printing in the Stello Letterpress Residency. All right, so the first thing we're gonna ask is the question we ask everyone, and the first question we're gonna to continue to ask everyone until this whole thing is over. <laughs> How are you? How is your 2022 going so far? My 2022 has been, I said pretty good, but half the time I've been confused of what year it is and the month and can't seem to get a grip uh, of even the day sometimes, you know, like the January is almost gone. Uh, February is about in the corner, around the corner. Yeah. But I'd say I can't complain, you know, I got a cat. Um, cat things are pretty exciting and they take my mind off things. So uh, that's been pretty good. Yeah. And we were talking about your cat before we started recording, mm -hmm. but like, how are you enjoying cat life <laughs> these two weeks? <laughs> it's been, it's, it's like exciting, but at the same time, you know, I go to work and I'm like, what is she doing? You know, is she batting something from a shelf? Is she tearing up the furniture? She's a pretty well behaved, behaved cat. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I don't, I shouldn't worry about that, but I worry if she's bored. I'm just like, is she entertained? Is she having a good life? Does she like the house? Um, no, it, it's been good. She's really cuddly. She's nice. She's very playful. I feel like she follows me around, you know, I have a little stalker. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really no complaints there. Like, she really likes, she seems to like me so far. Uh, she doesn't ignore me, which is nice. Um, so I have a companion. That's exciting for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Do you think you'll be a cat parent that like uh, spoils your cat? Oh my God. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like last week <laughs> I had her in like perched up in my chest and I was on Chewy. I was like, what toys do you like? And she's like <laughs> I haven't purchased it yet, but I was very heavily pondering of buying her more things so she won't be bored while I'm at work. Um, it's a fine line, I'd say. Like sometimes I'm like, I'll just buy it right now. I'll do everything I want, and then I'm like, I, I she's fine. She's an animal. There's plenty of things she can entertain herself with. Windows. She loves fresh up windows, so that's that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that. Um. So my first question: What's your art origin story? Um. Art background. My art origin story. I was thinking about it. Um, I'd say like, <laughs> do you mind if she meows throughout the podcast? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> she's gonna get on the on the keyboard. I'm sorry, I just can't have that. Um, <laughs> my art origin story. Um, Gosh, I want to say like my grandmas. Uh, I watched them paint a lot. Very, very privileged in that uh, I got to see them have that side of themselves and practice it uh, almost every day or every week. I'd say my favorite part uh, whenever we were visiting them, because we didn't live in the same city anymore, was joining their Wednesday tea session. And there were just like a bunch of grandmas painting watercolors. Um, I wouldn't say I have the patience for watercolor, but it was very nice. Uh, just like, you know, like switching around a brush. Um, 
I'd say like the other half was vandalizing my parents' house and vandalizing my grandparents' books. <laughs> I spent a lot of time smelling or like having like tactile uh, moments with books. And a lot of it was either bringing in my Crayolas and, and just like, you know, doing drawings all over them. Very nice edition books because my granddad was a, um, he had a publishing shop. And the other half was ripping uh, the white pages because I thought they had no purpose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like, like, this is a book. Every page should have something and it's blank. So either I draw on it or I'll, I will rip it. And funny enough, um, my grandparents had a very small shape, uh, shelf with tiny, tiny books. And I was like, those are my books. They're for the size of my hand, of course. So I would like prop up a stool and get on it and like try to reach for the shelf. And then I will de delicately take off these blank pages. <laughs> and, you know, uh, recently we, uh, they sold their house and we were trying to move them to go uh, live closer to family. So we were going through like memories and I asked them like, did you ever notice of, my mischievous behavior with your books and they're like what are you talking about and I like pulled up all these like small books and I was like do you see the damage that I've caused and they were just like shocked they're like I we never touched those books and I was like so they were my books okay so they were very nice to uh give them to me and I have them somewhere over there and it's it's pretty funny going through them and seeing uh what kind of damage I did <laughs> but uh, I, I'd say like Part of my uh, art origin story was being very mischievous and vandalizing uh, property, which also included a lot of walls mm -hmm. and bringing down crayons as I walked down the stairs. Um, I don't recall this, but my parents do. Uh, they never let me forget that they hid everything I could draw with around the house. Um, but that didn't limit me somehow. And I started drawing with saliva. So <laughs> <laughs> my DNA is on the wall. <laughs> so, so clearly you, you, your origins kind of start with mark making and, and book deconstruction, I see. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Truly, it's it's funny how that laid the groundwork. I never I never even considered studying art in high school at all. So, really? Yeah. Even um, surrounded by so much art um, with your family and in your life. Yeah, I felt really lost. Um, mostly because seeing my sister, I feel like my point of reference was my older sister, who is an incredible drawer and sculptor, and she's incredibly interdisciplinary and. I feel like a lot of my reference was like, I don't draw like her. So I, I must, it, it mustn't be for me um, until I took some printmaking classes on my last year of, of high school. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, this smells like my grandpa's shop. This is great. I like this. Uh, we'll see what happens. And sure enough, here I am. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of like my next question, but um, wondering about like, this kind of like impetus of your art without like you know as a little kid thinking about it as art um but just like being a little kid being creative to um to like yeah like 
your practice now but um so it made it seem like there was I guess were you always like drawing or was there like a period where it kind of like fell off and then you rediscovered it and then um it was only like when you rediscovered it did you start like connecting the dots of like the things you were doing when you were like a little kid I'd say like I wasn't always drawing but I definitely was always writing like notes um I'd say that was what I spend a lot of my time doing, just notes. Uh, notes of love, notes of kindness, notes of, I'm mad at you, sister, you suck. Um, and receiving notes was probably my favorite, uh, especially, you know, notes from my grandmas. Um, I'd say like, I spend a lot of time drawing on the walls, not so much on paper, um, but on the occasion, uh, I would definitely draw. And I'd say like, I, stop drawing I think because there's just other things happening you know like playing with friends on the streets and um, maybe watching tv and um trying not to be bored you know because boredom as a child like a child is just like the worst thing that could happen in some regard in like your everyday and um yeah I feel like I just spend a lot of time writing um not necessarily in a journal I feel like I always romanticize the idea of like dear diary today you know blah, blah 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 and it never I could never like actually follow through with it. I still can't do it today um there's something about like the the loose paper that you just write it off and send it trash it forget about it and you never have to look at it again until you do and I think there's something magical about it there's less pressure and um and yeah I feel like I, I spend a lot of time just writing notes is um I'm interested in this idea of like writing and communication like what is your favorite form of like communication like sending and receiving notes do you feel like that's the way you express your, express yourself the best or um I I would think I would like to think so um I think especially this last year I definitely say like I wrote some meaningful notes to the people around me um, I think like the new way of writing notes, uh, at least is like sending voice notes to my grandparents, like my family, who I can't necessarily send them a note because, you know, like the postal service in Mexico like sucks. Um, so I'd say like, yeah, uh, receiving and giving either digital notes or writing them is, is it is my main form of communication. Um, sometimes I think Part of it really is like I I feel like a lot of my life I'm a, I'm an observer and then I'm like watching things happen and making notes in my mind and I forget to participate uh, either like speaking up or like saying things even though like in my mind I'm playing it out as if I'm speaking so notes it is like so much easier for me to to say things do you um I know like you're talking about like writing notes to like other people but do you ever like write notes to uh your like future self or past self or like notes that are like just for you oh yes um I remember as part of like first grade or something you had to write um to your future self and I still have it somewhere and it was just like amazing seeing that like 15 years later um I think a lot of it is like I really do love some good penmanship so the romanticized idea of like penmanship is like very like rewar rewarding in some aspects. Um, 
and definitely writing it out or writing a note to myself, my inner self, my inner child um, is very kind. I think right now I've, I've written a lot to my past self, um, just a form of reflection of like circumstances or experiences that, you know, as people we live through that can be really hard to process. And now you, now that you're like in a different place from that instance, it's much easier to reflect or give advice or like hold yourself in a different way. Um, but no, I, I haven't written to my future self since that note in first grade. <laughs> Maybe I should consider it. Um, it sounds like for your whole life, you've been kind of engaged in some kind of like art or making or writing. Um, I'm curious about like when it was that you officially considered yourself an artist and like claimed that label or that title as an artist. Mm. Gosh, I say like, sometimes I still like, I think recently right now, it's like, am I an artist? Like what, what does being an artist entail, you know? Um, I think that comes with the challenges of transitioning from being a student into uh, not being a student, you know, and trying to make art things happen. Um, but I'd say like one of the first instances, instances of feeling like an artist was showing work among with people I respected uh, or admired uh, who were my peers at school. And that felt really rewarding and people, you know, having conversations with me about the visual qualities or the, um, the things that they saw from the work. And that felt like it was worth continuing in that path. Um, I think right now it's just like, it's just like a weird loop of like, am I really an artist if I'm not like actively doing everything all the time? Like, is there periods of rest? Do I have to be showing and applying to all these things all the time? Um, I think those are like the questions I'm battling right now between feeling like I'm not artist enough and not making enough for myself. But at the same time, I have a full-time job of making things for other artists or with artists. So um, yeah, it's, I feel like it's a never ending question and I'm sure I'm not the only one in this. Yeah. I think that'd be an interesting like art piece um, just for anybody to think about like what is an artist at rest look like? What does art, art rest look like? I mean, you mentioned um, that you, you know, you have, you, it's hard thinking about art and like in terms of since you graduated, which leads me to like my next question. You graduated in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. So your entire post-collegiate life it has been in the middle of what we're currently experiencing. So I'm wondering what is that like as an artist and how has that like affected your practice and even the way that you think about art and, and your professional life and your views of like your professional life as an artist? Gosh, I think it was, I, I feel like outside of, uh, pandemic circumstances, any transitions can be difficult and met with challenges. Mm -hmm. I'd say um, I'm really thankful that in some regard I got a like months of rest. I was so burnt out and I never like acknowledged how burnt out I was from everything about the collegiate experience. Um, so in, in some regard, I feel really thankful for that rest. Um, well, rest and, and like unrestness of it. Um, 
but it was weird. It was like, okay, I guess all the expectations that I had for myself need to go out. Like I can't live with those expectations anymore. That's the world is not, you know, working as it was or as we knew. Um, so that needs to be like completely taken out. And I still somehow find myself like saying yes to absolutely everything that I went in my way, which um, definitely led me to burnout. But at the same time, really thankful that people were thinking of me and inviting me to, you know, do TAing or uh, be a part of something. And that felt really rewarding in some regard, just like want something to do. And it also felt like, oh, I, I guess I'm, th I'm making things happen. Um, and uh, in other aspects, I feel really privileged to have been awarded that the Mulani Printing Apprenticeship, because I think it has really started my print, like my career as a printmaker and getting to really just network with amazing artists and galleries, which is, I feel like, yeah, totally it's a privilege and it's a really exciting one. Um, so I, I feel like I, I got <laughs> just like a really great in and I've, I, I feel really lucky for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, that's where you uh, work full time now at the Malawi print shop. I'm wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit about that, like what kind of stuff you do there, what's a day like, um, some of the experiences or any funny stories? <laughs> There's plenty of funny stories. Um, so Milani printing, I, well, I, I gotta say like the apprenticeship was a six month program. And I was like ready to be like, okay, when I started, I was like, I gotta do this for six months. I can't believe I'm gonna do this for six months. Partly because I was like, this is too much. I can't do this. I can continue doing this. And the other half was like very daunting of, of you know, like a full-time career as a pre-maker. And then soon enough, I got uh, um, hired uh, as a full-time employee, which was very exciting. So a lot of what we do is plate making. Uh, Milani printing focuses on photo revere, which is, uh, I believe, like an 18th century process of making photographs. I'm I'm kind of bad at explaining it because I have no like no history or practice in photography, and I that's just like a mystery to me. But we do make a lot of photo revere in copper plates. Uh, we do monotypes and relief. I'd say like uh, a lot of our days are just spent printing, at least right now, it's just spent printing and standing up. All of our days is just standing up printing. There's definitely not a dull moment in that studio. Um, there's a lot of Bob Dylan special uh, podcasts happening, some bad playlists, some cheesy playlists, some carnival playlists. Um, it's just you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot having two bosses, um, <laughs> but it's also like, you know, like I said, there's never a dull moment where, you know, I have like quiet time or have slow time at all. Um, I feel like a day in a, a day in a life or a day at work is, you know, getting there or like att my attempt to get there on time. Sometimes it's really difficult. I try my best, but thankfully they're not very hard on that because they also have leeway. Um, then I get there, I'm half asleep, but you know, we set up for presses or whatever we have to do that day. And 
we just get on it. And a lot of the time we spend sighing, like, oh, we're printing plates. Oh, like, we better go do this the entire week or the entire month. Um, but we, I mean, we, we love it. It's, it's just part of what it is. It's really exhausting for sure. Um, it comes with some injury, well, not injuries, but rather like soreness and uh, my boss sometimes makes me work out. It's like at the studio, it, it's very physical. And he's always like, you should get a gym membership. I'm like, dude, this is the only gym I need. Like I, <laughs> please don't make me exercise. Like I can't, I can't bear it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a lot. Um, like I said, it's two bosses. They're very completely different people. One of them is 30 something, the other is 60 something. Um, they sometimes work really well together and sometimes there's tensions. Uh, they bicker, I'd say like they bicker and it's sometimes really funny to watch and other times it's best not to go near it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's like I said, there's never a dull moment and there's always so much happening there. Um, they make fun of me because I asked one time if it will ever slow down like it was it, we had like a nice rhythm at the beginning of the pandemic and they can never let go of that question. They're just like, oh, will they ever slow down? <laughs> I'm like running around and they're asking me that. I'm like, shut up, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's, it's really fun. Uh, as exhausting as it is, it's really fun. It's, it's, it's really cool that you're like an actual printmaker in the real sense of the word in that you actually print other artists like work. Um, and I do wonder about like that industry and what it's like working there yeah. um, in that field, um, which traditionally is not known to be the most diverse, right? So yeah. like, do you mind talking a little bit about that and what that's like and like whether or not you feel like this desire to bring something new to it in in that way yeah i'd say um it's eye-opening i'd say like going from like studying a technique for yourself mm -hmm. or you know as an artist or uh something that you want to learn is really different than working in um like the, the industry i guess you could call it or like the, yeah. the trade if you will um it's eye-opening and at the same time it's like wow you know like nothing has changed in how many centuries mm -hmm. um it's the same old deal with the galleries and the museums and the artists and it's like not necessarily bad but it's sometimes confusing there's like the middleman and it's just like a lot of all these loops and hoops um and I guess like I'm probably surprised but probably I, I went into this knowing nothing behind the scenes you know so it's like I, I feel like much of an observer um, and seeing things and be like, huh, I wish that could be done differently or, you know, that seems like whatever. I don't want to take a part of that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, oh, this is like the only way that they do things at the same time. So like, how can you make it without doing all those things? Um, I'd say like, um, considering we live in Portland, um, there is, I feel like it's a city of a lot of printmakers mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, but I haven't really collided with many shops around town. Like we know of many outside, like throughout the United States and, you know, my boss talks about them, how they work and 
how they do things and um it's just I mean we're a small operation you know and so it's I think it's just like trying to get a grip and 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 at least for me it's trying to get a grip I feel like my bosses know what they're doing or they seem to know what they're doing and um it's just trying to maintain the shop afloat really and get through this pandemic as well as any other business and I'd say like um it's it is um I just forgot the other questions uh would you mind repeating them please yeah just like you know what printmaking like not the industry not maybe having the best reputation in terms of diversity what you feel um uh how do you feel about that and do you, do you feel obligated to provide something new in that regard from your perspective yeah yeah i mean um being in printmaking means that you have to have really like the tools for the trade and those are very inaccessible both in they're limited you know a lot of these presses are not in in make anymore they're also extremely expensive uh studio space you know everything that adds up to it is i'd say like it's pretty inaccessible to have all those things at your disposal um yeah and uh the other part of it is i'd say like the shop is um has a really like a sorry milani printing does have a philosophy of working with uh artists from portland who are like working with in community. And it's like interesting to see how those things play out as well as, you know, having our work with like the galleries and the museums and how different they are. And I'd say like this whole, the entire, my entire experience as an apprentice and now as a worker is just seeing like, what am I interested in, in partaking in if I, if I were ever to have my own press or like my own shop. Um, what are the things that I have to really give in to make, you know, the business work and stay afloat? And what are the things that maybe might not work out for me? Um, I'd say like, it's obviously much more complicated than that. Uh, I'm just like theorizing in some ways. And it's nice to like daydream about having a press in like an old house and inviting people like your friends over to just print and, you know, that's around and, and books and all that. And, um, I think I hold that like daydreaming very kind and it's, I, I, I really hope I get to do that some, at some point in my life, uh, just be able to do and invite friends over and chat um, and like, be like, hey, you want to learn some prints? You know, here's a press and here's your room and board. You can stay here for like a year or a couple months and just have fun. Um, but obviously like seeing getting on really the behind of the admin it has been like oh this is hard <laughs> so um it's i'd say like it's nice to have uh all of these experiences of behind the curtain um and daydream about the things that i wish i could at some point magically happen um but it's it's difficult it's you know i'd, I'd say like any business is trying to survive right now and I really like to keep my job. I really love it. Um, and it, it is nice to see that I can still grow with them. I'd say that's something that I wasn't expecting. Well, I wasn't really expecting much when I went into the apprenticeship, except that I was very scared and a little challenged. But um, I 
yeah, I just wasn't expecting that I could grow with them. Um, so it's both like, uh, it feels like I'm giving up a little bit of what I like to be as an artist, mostly because it's so demanding. Um, like I print all day and then it's like, should I go to my studio and print some more? Or like, what do I do? Do I really want to do that? Like, I love printing, but it's so much different when you're printing for someone else mm -hmm. rather than for yourself. You don't have the challenges of like making a composition and thinking all of that. You just are handed the work and, you know, you go through the motions of making it happen. Does your studio or does your print shop like have a those like squishy carpets that are like better to stand on for your feet and stuff for your back. Yes, there's plenty. We finally, after months and months, we got a lot. We, it's kind of, it's good and bad because definitely we're um, trampling over them, which is dangerous <laughs> when you're holding sharp tools and, and things, but yeah, those help. I'd say like shoes, shoes is everything. I haven't, as you know, I say like Doc Martens, it is a staple for printmakers for a reason. Um, but gosh, I need better shoes. My back is killing me. So like Doc Martens are like the printmaker shoe? They are. They, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like the cult printmaking shoe. Wow. It's kind of like a funny, it's like, you know, printmakers do have a uniform and it's somehow in every shop you see it. Um, but Sorry, go ahead. Like just Doc Martens, you know, they're they're part of they're part of the gig somehow. But don't Doc Martens take forever to break in though? Oh, they do. Oh. They do. Sometimes it's nice to get them like secondhand, and they're like not completely beaten and dead, but they kind of wore in. I think that's the way to go, unless you want to suffer for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Would you say the cult of printmaking has a diet? Ooh. Yes, I'd say, um, I wouldn't say pizza is part of it, but sometimes it is the easiest way to feed a lot of people that are in the studio. Beer is a big part of the diet. At least IPAs are a big part of the studio. I'm not a beer, per I'm not a beer person. Uh, it's an acquired taste. I have yet to get there. And at the beginning, it was just me and Harry, so I felt like I felt really rude saying no while he drank and I didn't join him or join him with water. So reluctantly, I started drinking a little bit and you know, it's not too bad, but still it's just not my thing. I, and I really tried. So at least now that we have another apprentice, her name is Sam, uh, she also doesn't really partake in. I feel like, yes, like <laughs> I have someone on my team who is not partaking in this. Um, it was worth trying, but I'd say like, it's just not my thing. Um, so beer and, you know, so occasional pizza, it is a diet. A lot of coffee. Gosh, a lot of coffee happens. What about tea? Um, we do have some tea. I'd say like I have my morning coffee and then lunch. And then, you know, I would love to have a little nap situation after lunch, but that's not possible. So tea is where uh, tea happens for sure. Um, not as not as much as our lovely PNCA studio. I do That's love cool. that. Yeah, it was the probably the best part of like three p.m. <laughs> um, just some tea, tea time. You get to sit down. You get to you know share the gossip of the day with people and whose critiques went on this way and 
blah 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 and now we're just like oh it's 3 p.m like gosh the day went by so fast and we're just, like complaining and sighing but there's no tea time yeah. definitely spoiled yes <laughs> really were so you mentioned daydreaming about starting your own studio do you feel like maybe this experience is like giving you the building blocks to actually make that happen yes yes i i'd say like it it is a funny and rewarding how sometimes things happen and take you to meeting people and um doing things so i i knew that at some point in my life i would like to to have a press mm -hmm. and a space where i can share it with others um but i just never would have thought that I'd get there so soon in regards of like getting the practice of it. Um, I think, you know, like my dreamiest and perfect lifestyle in this particular scenario is I have a house somewhere in Mexico, like my heart, that's just where my heart wants to be, mm -hmm. to be honest. And um, I run a residency program, I invite my friends you know, it's, it'd be nice. Um, spend a couple months or weeks, however long, and learn printmaking. I get to share. It's it's really nice. I think the idea of like, uh, you come to this particular space and I share what I know and you share what you know. And there's this exchange and there's so much more meaning, meaningful than just being like, okay, here are the tools, uh, have fun. Yeah. And uh, I think that is my, a perfect scenario and somehow maintaining it and just living that way and you know it's it's a really nice thought and I'd say it's really comforting right now knowing that gosh I don't know what's going to happen next year the next and the following year and while I, I do have a really stable job it's still like on the thought of on the back of my mind of what I will do and what will happen so I'd say like that has brought me a lot of comfort of like maybe I It'll happen maybe it won't but um i would like to see it through and definitely being part of uh the mulani printing crew has just opened my eyes and met people that could definitely help me make it happen um which is also really exciting and even though i'm not necessarily expressing my dreams to other people yet um i'd say this with confidence with both of you since i know you um <laughs> and <laughs> and cherish what we have going um it's just nice to be like oh you know this person could help me if i need to like the networking things which is you know it's just part of what our jobs require and any job really yeah. um so it's just be nice to be like mental notes of like if this happens, you should reach out to this person and this person, but I don't have to worry about that yet. <laughs> yeah, have your Rolodex already. Yeah, it's it's kind of exhausting. It's like a <laughs> like part-time mental job, but um, it's also exciting, the prospect of making it happen at some point. Yeah, no, I think all, all things, sorry, yeah, it's like daydreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That's kind of like a two small two-part question. Um, and maybe one kind of addresses like Melanie's earlier question, but um, with like the drinking at like uh, printmaking shops, um, is there not like a fear of like registration getting thrown off or like, how do you like, like, cause it seems like such a precision um, practice, right? Like what's the, 
the way you navigate it. <laughs> Before you answer that, can I just say Fear of Registration would be a good memoir title. If you have the right one, Alejandra. Thank you. That's great. That's lovely. <laughs> it is it is a real fear. Um, I will answer the questions in a minute. The real fear though is getting we work a lot with Eastern papers and not knowing whether I'm printing on the front or the back of the paper has been a huge deal of my anxiety. Um you know, you don't want to mess up those prints. They're really nice prints. Um, but the, the drinking happens in the afternoon. So <laughs> there's definitely um, the fear of misalignment and misregistration is a sober one. And like, definitely you, I could not drink and I'm not a functional person if I'm under any influence. I know some people are and that's great, but I, I can't. I somehow I just like stand there I'm like cool That's is there like this like does it like pervasive through printmaking or like the printmaking experience it seems like there's this element of like this like bro culture or like lad culture like a little bit within printmaking yeah um I'd say like sometimes printmaking feels like a cult for a lack of a better word mostly because it's, it's so niche in some regard, like one, the technical terms, what you're saying, what you're looking at, the presses. I definitely, I, it's not like I can look at a press and identify it right away, but that's like part of it sometimes. And um, I'd say that, um, sorry, I just lost my brain. My, my train of thought, not my brain of thought. Um, <laughs> Can you repeat the question, please? Is there this like element of like bro culture that's like pervasive through like printmaking? I'd say uh, it's been like a prim like primarily men dominated field, like many fields. And there is a bro culture. I mean, like the a lot of the presses are designed to be taller. I'm not necessarily taller. Um, but so I gotta, you know, haul my little stool around and that helps things. But it's quite funny. It's just like trying to find the stool in the big studios, be like, where, where do you put the stool? And half of the time it's just asking where the thing is. Um, the other half is like dealing with, um, thankfully I'd say like my team, it's, they, they know who to invite to the studio. They don't work with people that, that are, that they haven't met before. So they have a really good way of being like, I know I can trust this person and they will be respectful. Um, but in some regard, I'd say like from my experiences at PNCA, it was just like, you know, an MFA TA would come in and just be like mansplaining things to me and that I didn't even ask, or I didn't even ask you for your opinion and you just felt like giving it to me mm -hmm. or like nosing around when, like, I don't know you, why do I care what you say? Um, so a lot of that comes with like exerting just this like power dynamic because like they're I'd say like in regards to like academia they were like in a higher quote-unquote higher program so they felt like they knew better which you know maybe but like it wasn't necessarily I didn't ask for their opinion so I say like a lot of the bro culture that I experienced was um, in college and it was just really like gross. And to know that some of these people are like teaching 
and and from my experience of them being like our TA I'm just like how does that work like how are you creating an environment where it's like one inclusive and two you're just like non-mansplaining everything to everyone um or just being you know completely misogynist so I'd say like I feel pretty good in regards to who is brought to the studio and I know I can trust even though you know like from experiences my guard is always up but I'd say like uh, we've had some very lovely people in the studio. I have no complaints about that. Um, can I'd like a follow-up question to that. So you've you've had experiences in many different like varieties of print shops, both academically related or like within the Portland community, but even like abroad in other countries. Mm -hmm. So would you say that that kind of like bro code is um, evident in other parts of the world as well? That you've experienced or would you say it's like an it's an american born thing no i'd say it's abroad um i like right now as an example is um we are starting a printmaking residence where we invite uh, mexican artists or latin american artists living in the u.s mm -hmm. to uh, our studio um for two a week or two and so I've been reaching out to a lot of print shops down in Mexico, just making networks, asking, you know, asking questions and all that. And it's like been really hard to find a non-male, like own printmaking shop, wow. like a woman or a queer space. And it's really challenging because it's just like, I know there's, there gotta be somewhere and like my my thoughts are like, is it accessible? Is the culture of it so difficult to be a part, to, to, to engage with or to even like get a little bit into it that it's off-putting? Um, so I'd say like, I, I mean, obviously I haven't been to the entire world, but I'd say as a generalist statement that it is a, is a big part of it um, in either like university, experiences or in print shops um professionally and you know it's something's got to change and by that it's like daydreaming about about your own spaces and designing it so it, you can invite those people that were never part of the conversation or were never even invited because they were like oh you're a woman what would you know about this mm -hmm. or you're like this size or whatever you don't seem to know you're because the way you look so um it's both like frustrating, but at the same time, the like the comfort of daydreaming can be can play a lot into that. And it's like kind of a way to like exhale and just be like, okay, maybe one day this will happen. You never know. So you don't hold in that frustration. Yeah. You mentioned that you get to handle like Eastern paper. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering like as a result of working in a print shop like that, do you get access to like tools that you use in your own work um, that you might not otherwise have access to? I get access to the presses, which is just beautiful, you know? And at the same time, it's like the conundrum that my boss and I always speak to. It's like, you work every day for this and then you're like oh you want to stay in like three or four more hours <laughs> to do it for your own um uh, so it's like I'm, i've been trying to change that uh a little bit um just because like 
wow, I have access to presses. That is huge. I should really take advantage of it. And they will also very much like to see us use the presses. Um, so I say like, I have access to presses, I have access to tools, I have access to solvents, like acids and all these things that I would definitely not be able to handle in my own studio or just have access to because they're expensive. Um, it's like a whole gallon for like, you know, maybe I won't use it for a year. Like, so what's the point? It might just like completely evaporate. Um, so it is uh, exciting to have access to all these things and also be entrusted with a key and, you know, go in and out as I please. Well, if I wanted to. Uh, I usually like when I leave, I leave work. So it's like, I completely forget that I do that. When I get home, I'm just like, okay, cool. Let me just numb my brain and watch TV and not think about things. Um, but yeah, I have access to paper. Um, if I wanted to buy a lot of paper, they have connections, they have someone they uh, buy it through. So it's nice. It's something to definitely take advantage of. Um, it's one of my, I want to say goals. I don't always like that word, but something I would like to do um, in this cycle. Um, just at least one print, just one print. Yeah. Have you been doing like any other type of like art making as like your break from printmaking, like, you know, not wanting to do printmaking, but like maybe wanting to like be creative or express yourself. Has there been like something else you've been engaging in? Yes, I'd say um, a lot of sewing has happened. I I learned sewing through my grandma's, um, which is, I always hold that very, very dear, just like a great tool. I, I was always cutting up things. So they were like, okay, this kid <laughs> needs to learn how to sew it back again, please. Um, I'm sure my mom was like, can you please teach her? Just give her something to do. Um, so uh, I've been just sewing a lot and half of it just being like repairs, like a button here, uh, hemming some pants. Um, it's always like, <laughs> it's good and bad because it's like, you see things, something you like and you're like, I can fix that. And then all of a sudden you have a pile of things that you always wanted to fix, but you are, haven't fixed it in like months or even years. Um, but I've been like slowly, slowly getting through that pile. Um, and that has been like a huge, huge break from printmaking and just, it just feels regarding to be like, okay, I have something to do that's kind of like thoughtless in some regard. Um, I don't have to think it through. It's, it's challenging, but not really. Um, maybe, you know, you just botch a hem and then you just got, got to make it again. Um, so I've been doing that and I've been trying to get rid of just as a printmaker, you know, you have paper problems. Uh, you are, are a hoarder, at least I am. And many of the people I know hoard paper. So I was looking at my drawers. I'm like, why is my drawer breaking apart? Oh, it's because paper weighs a lot. So I've been trying to just like make bundles and make pamphlets and make little like books um, just to give away really. It's, it's kind of nice to just um, do that sometimes. When you're in the mood for it, it definitely bookbinding requires a specific uh, mental capacity sometimes, because uh, it's just not necessarily precise, but it does require a lot of attention. Whereas at least for me, sewing can be a little bit more mindless. Um, I'd say those two are my main actions as well as cleaning, just dusting, cleaning, maintaining the space can always be nice. It's like a reset, even though I don't use the space always. Um, and then the other half is just staring at the wall. 
<laughs> that's like a good chunk of pre-making or art making just being like huh pondering wonderment questioning or maybe just no singular thoughts at all um but that's a that's i feel like it's time well spent nonetheless um i'm curious if you could uh talk about the recent stillo show you were a part of yeah um so i believe can't remember if it was sorry just thinking time on the part uh in 2020 i applied to the solo residency and i got accepted which was really exciting um and it was a two-week uh, letterpress residency in this beautiful cabin in camp colton i mean like if you wanted to be a fairy and you're a printmaker, that will be the way to go. Uh, you're in this cabin with these amazing presses and you have the forest around you and you just, you know, get two weeks and you have assistance from Rory Sparks, who is a project manager. Um, and you get to just do work and having the show up after like a year and some change was really exciting. One, I didn't get to meet my cohort at all. Uh, like once in Zoom, but a part of like the residencies or what's exciting is like meeting people, exchanging things, ideas, conversations, um, and just talking. And I was a little bummed out. Uh, I felt like I got really lucky to have the people in the residency who are like mid-career. And I was just like, wow, I get to talk to them and, you know, kind of learn a little bit more about how they got there and what have you. I think those are always interesting conversations of, you know, have you gone to where you are now and what you wish to do? Um, and it was just nice to see what other people made. Um, and while I felt like a lot of the work that I did in the residency was unfinished, mostly because uh, I just felt unresolved, not necessarily like a bad thing. It's sometimes nice to have work or have done so much in a residency that, um, that still needs, or you can still extend it to your, you know, uh, artist practice. It just felt like um, a time for reflection of like, wow, I did a lot. Uh, even though I'm not completely like pleased that I can show everything, mostly because of my own expectations, which are like, they suck sometimes. Um, it was really nice to see what other people made and just have a conversation and look at it in the wall. Um, I feel like it changed a lot of my perspective. I was like, wow, I did that. That was hard. That was a lot of time. And it's, it's, it was really nice to hear everybody talk because um, we gave short artist talks for like five to 10 minutes and explain what we did. So it, that, those are the moments where I'm like, wow, I'm, maybe I'm, I am an artist. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it's like you're talking there in public and people are like intently listening. You're like, maybe I am an artist and that was definitely a very nice moment of uh my last year um as well as going to the small axe gallery and and that was lovely I got to show my thesis work which I didn't get to show um unless it was like online but it's definitely not the same so I felt really lucky that I got two shows in a year where everything was up in the air um, for both shows, you, you show your thesis work? 
No, for uh, the Stella show, I only um, presented some of the things I worked at the residency. And then for the small acts show, I, I did some new work. I did some monotypes on silk, um, which was nice. Monotypes are always nice to work with. And then some older work, just explore, explore, exploratorial uh, pre-making. So it was like monotypes with letterpress or monotypes with like random objects then printed on top of each other. Um, and then we did a small screening um, just to show a lot of the other artists that were part of the, the exhibition had um, like videos or virtual work. So um, it was nice. It was like during the summer, we all sat down and got to see it displayed. Um, we got eaten by mosquitoes, which was fun, but I got to see my work, my letterpress animations on a wall. Nice. Which is like a weird way to say things, but like it was really exciting. Like I've only seen them in, the, in my screen or on my phone and it was like, wow, I did that. I, I don't know if you have those moments where you've done the thing and it's been a while and then you look at it again, you're like, I did that. Um, that's crazy. I can't believe it. So that was really nice. Yeah, I'm sorry. You, you mentioned your thesis work and the letterpress animations. Um, and um, I'm, as I have talked to you about your thesis work and then also talked to my thesis students about your thesis work, um, one of the things that I enjoyed about it is your kind of your challenging and your confrontation of language and what it can do um, and its barriers, its limitations, its possibilities. So I'm wondering, are you planning on continuing in this kind of work in the future or was this something that was kind of thesis specific and you've kind of put it on a shelf indefinitely to pursue other things? I'd say it's something that I would like to continue. I went into developing my thesis knowing the entire time that something that is just long-term. Um, I mean, language is a living thing. Yes. Language is a living thing, so it does require, um, I wouldn't say consistent, but like from time to time, reflection, questioning, wonderment, maybe a conclusion that you arrived at previously no longer serves you or is no longer relevant, or it's just, it needs to change uh, because you have more information now or you have a different context. Um, and I'd say like definitely having what like eight months to explore that it's not enough time um not enough time not enough resources not enough conversations with other people with different uh standpoints and views and experiences and all of that so it's something I do wish to, to come back into and it's been really nice to have a break I think that type of work brought a lot out of me that I was not expecting like a lot of em just emotional and like memories I completely forgotten and, and they were really hard to process alone because um, I, I didn't necessarily present them to the public because I wasn't ready um, but it was really hard to like battle with those memories and those experiences and in the shadows while I was presenting all this work um, that kind of touched on it but didn't necessarily so it's it's nice having some distance and talking to other people about it like yourself Melanie and it's it's refreshing to feel that it's still relevant 
it will continue to be. Um, but I think it's, you know, one step at a time, sometimes you got to just read. I think right now I'm in my period of like incubation, reading a lot. Uh, I've gone down the goth path of like reading stupid vampire things and I'm enjoying it and I'm fine with that. A lot of Victorian era, um, like watching Downtown Abbey, like I have like, it just feels very silly because that kind of lifestyle is completely irrelevant, but I feel completely um, taken out by it. And even though it has nothing, well, I guess it could, like how language has changed, you can view it that way, but um, it's just nice of seeing all these different avenues of what I'm interested in and maybe connecting it together. Um, like I've always been drawn to like the dark and the gothic when I was very little, but I didn't really quite understand why or like how it came to be. But now just just asking myself questions like, why am I um, interested in this? Or why am I drawn to this? Or how did I get here? Um, and just reading about it, even, you know, like when I say vampire, like I'm not, not talking about like the 2000s vampire crappy which are great TV shows and like Twilight was great in its time. I hold it dearly. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like maybe reading Carmilla, who was the first uh, Polish book oh. of vampires. It predated Dracula. So it's interesting being like, oh, it is a lesbian story. Like what? Like who knew? We always thought that Dracula was a vampire, but that's a whole different um, pond of things so it's just I'm I feel like I'm in a period of incubation and I would like to at some point return to it when it feels like I'm ready um but you know I'd say like reading all this English like old Victorian English is like challenging and it's really interesting to see how much English has changed even though I wouldn't say that that's something I'm interested in showing um or making work about is definitely has given me a lot of food for thought of how just language changes overall and it's a good example to do to just read it and hear it yeah yeah, yeah I've heard that you're a big fan of all things vampire and vampire stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it's like Ruben's like okay I guess you are a vampire like although I think I'd say side note uh one of my biggest um accomplishments was showing Ruben Twilight and I feel very proud of it. And yeah, that's amazing that you got Ruben a watch. <laughs> I can't even get through that. <laughs> I was like invested at some point. And I think I think that was worth it. <laughs> it was kind of weird though, because Ruben was like, okay, we need to have like a palette cleanser. I was like, I guess there. Like, sure. But I did that. You I made you watch uh Twilight. Do you have any thoughts on the Anne Rice version of vampires? R.I.P. Anne Rice. I, I, I'm not familiar with it, actually. I'd say like, although I'm, I am interested in all things, well, I want to say all things vampire. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say like right now I am like venturing back on the timeline and being like, how did vampires start? Like it is, they do come from myths. Uh, from what I've gathered from what I've read but I think I'm interested in like the published work even though oral history is really important mm -hmm. um, right now I'm just like enjoying it as in a form of entertainment but at the same time it's like it does have a lot to do with religion 
um, and how much that shapes language as well. So, um, no, I, I'm not familiar with uh, who you just mentioned. Okay. I just watched an uh, interview with the vampire again recently. How does, how does it hold up? I still love it. I mean, I still love like Tom Cruise. I love Brad Pitt. I love Antonio Banderas. Um, wasn't say, oh, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but this is something I've been thinking about recently that um, Angel David Boreanaz from Angel or from Buffy yeah. was such like a proto Edward. Ooh. <laughs> really? Like, okay, I need you to say more because I, <laughs> I don't see it. He was like, when did Buffy come out? Like the mid mid nineties, late nineties. Yeah. So he was like that. But then you get Edward. They like they look similar. They have like that kind of short brown hair. Um, both fiending after a high school girl, even though they're like a couple hundred years old. Okay, um, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. There's other. There's other. I'll show you the full pie chart. There's other. <laughs> there's other crossovers. Um, wasn't. Oh, have you seen a Midnight Mass? I have not, um, but I did recently watch Interview with a Vampire, and it's, it's, I'd say like, I wouldn't say, it's like entertaining, but it's like, gosh, you know, like two hours of them just talking. It's I mean, that, that's Anne Rice, though. That was, that's based on an Anne Rice book. Okay, yeah. then I, I haven't read that book, but I really enjoyed that movie. Um, yeah, because like vampires are like moody and they're brooding. And they're yeah. like, why am I alive? Why does anything matter? Yeah. And the outfits. Someone, <laughs> and the tweeted, someone tweeted, why are all vampires always rich? Um, like, why are they always wealthy? And then someone tweeted back, if you're from 1892 and you're still broke, just walk <laughs> into the sun. Yeah. Yeah, you have, you have a lot of time to amass wealth. But I think, too, they also chose people. Yeah, choose people that are already, like, well off. And like, oh, you're already a rich guy? Like, it'll be easier for you to be a vampire or something, maybe. Right. I mean, I'm sure they get benefits from, like, making the vampire. They're like, oh, I like your library. Maybe I'll come right into the vampire and get in there. Um, <laughs> I mean, they do go hunting for a reason. Maybe they're, like, spying and, like, oh, this person, yes, this person, I don't know. Questionable. Hmm. Um. You kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious about like your thoughts and, and specifically in your practice, this like intersection between uh, like printmaking and poetry and the way like you utilize like both those things. Um, I say that, I say like with any craft um, or type of like art making, there's something really poetic about it. Uh, I think probably because printmaking can be romanticized and I definitely feel very in love with printmaking um, in so many aspects. And I'd say like there's something about a process that both challenges you and makes you ponder and question the, either the themes, what you're thinking about in the project in every step of the way can definitely have some sort of um, editing effect. You know, sometimes when I have written something down uh, to set it uh, with type for letterpress, I'm really thinking about what I'm setting down because it's just, I'm picking up the letters, you know, and, and they're heavy, they become heavy in my hand, they become um, material in front of me. So I'd say there's something that lends itself to that and it translates really well um 
and also it it's like you become another person it's you know I'd say like for me I'm writing something down on my computer or by hand and then when I'm going on to set it um I feel like I'm both a printmaker but at the same time I'm editing myself in another like my other consciousness is like oh let's rethink this word maybe you should look at something else or sometimes the limitations of you have so many a's or so many e's will make you rethink your words so I'd say like for letterpress um it really lends itself to the process of writing mm -hmm. and um and just like really thinking about words um because it's it's just the it becomes materialized in front of you which is so bizarre sometimes too because we say these things and they're material and we somehow understand them but then you put it in front of yourself and you're like sometimes you stare at the word a little too many times and then you don't know what it means and you're like is this real there's been many times where i just look at it i'm like do i even know english like, do I even know Spanish? Like, does this even make sense to anyone? Especially after like the fumes come on. <laughs> You've like been standing all day and you're like really unsure and you question everything. It's like staring at a painting for too long. Um, those things happen. And I think they're just part of the process of editing yourself and or reflecting or just looking at it at another point of view. No, you're, not, you're not just sitting down and writing the thing. You, you're making it happen. So I'd say uh, letterpress really lends itself to that. And it's been really exciting um, and enthralling to, to get back into that type of writing. I never, like I always wrote, but I never considered myself as someone who writes or someone who can write such things. And sometimes I read what I've written. And I'm like, that's, wow, that's, that's really profound. And that's really beautiful. And then I'm like, damn, I can't write. <laughs> it's so cool. And then I'm just like, you know, you have writer's block and things happen. But um, yeah, letterpress is a beautiful way to translate poetry. What do you think about this like idea of like intention and maybe like the power within certain things, like like the idea of like typing a word on a computer or on a phone versus like writing it on paper versus like yeah like letter pressing that word like you're talking about like getting these like every single letter together um is there like more you know like the baby the idea of like the longer process like get lends it more power or like I don't know I'm just curious if you think about that or like what you think about that absolutely I'd say like you know when you're typing a computer or at least when I do I I don't go you know into like introduction or when I'm writing an essay it's like introduction blah, blah, blah. it's like just pure dumping of all these ideas and content and like what about this and then I leave thoughts unanswered or halfway through and then go back to something else and come back because you know it's like I can just click it and delete it and copy and paste it and rearrange it and it's a really wonderful tool because you can just be a little haphazard with how you're stringing thoughts along and connecting them. And um, it's quite easy to go back and erase things or make edits or finish things up or correct them. Uh, whereas when you're writing, I'd say like, um, I'm pretty heavy handed with my pencil. Like I have a, a permanent bump on my finger for that. And it's like, when I'm writing, it's just, I try my best or it kind of happens where it's just full sentences-ish for the most part. 
Um, and I have a hard time jumping back and forth between things because then I lose my my track or my bring up my my thoughts. Uh, they can kind of get uh, scrambled. And when I read back to it, they somehow don't make sense. Even though I'm writing, I feel like I will write it the same digitally. It somehow doesn't make sense to me in paper. So of course, like you mentioned, like there is some way to it when you have more time and when you're holding the letters in front of you, you are really looking at it and investigating it. Or at least, you know, um, I'm repeating the letter or the few letters uh, a lot when I'm, I'm, I'm sending the type uh, just so I don't forget and don't get distracted. It has happened where I'm just, I think I'm setting the right thing and then it's just a completely different line and then you have to go back and edit. So there's something about uh, having that time to ponder and the action of like spreading, like grabbing a letter and making it into a word that makes it into a sentence that makes it into, uh, you know, a full complete thought, uh, semi-complete even, or just like a hint of a thought. So yeah, letterpress really will make you question for the best or the worst uh, what you're writing and like if you really know your words. Um, I'd say like, gosh, you get my P's and my Q's confused and dyslexia is a thing and reading upside down and backwards is also a challenge. Um, so you have to really have the time to look at things truly. Does uh, the expression minding your P's and Q's come from printmaking? Yes, it does. <laughs> this oh. plenty. Oh, okay. Wow, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, there's quite a lot, like, for example, uh, I'm out of sorts, uh, which often means, like, you know, I'm kind of bummed out or I'm kind of just, like, not in my best right now. It comes from uh, letter setters who were paid to, by the day, to set um text so if they were out of sorts it means that they had to leave home until they they couldn't work on that same project anymore and they had to leave so they were not getting paid for it um and it's a real challenge like wanting to use at least now wanting to use a specific type and you don't have enough e's or a's um it's a bummer when you have to like rethink your entire writing and then you're like oh, I mean, there's ways around it, but they suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've done that quite a few times. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> so um, as you know, um, because you've worked in them, there are like many different forms um, or ways of making with printmaking um, from letterpress to relief and screen and etching, litho, all of that. Like, what would you say, like keeping in mind, the process itself as well as the final finished form what would you say is your favorite way of making oh letterpress letterpress okay second thought <laughs> um, like with printmakers it's always like you know once you're in the group uh this is the question that you get asked what is your love what is the thing that you do and you have people who love lithostone and blah blah blah, blah for different reasons and i say for me it's, it's letterpress um I'd say like one of the main reasons or like the emotional reasons is like that I got to know my granddad through letterpress, which is as like my granddad as a person, not just a, as a particular member of my family through letterpress um, and just getting to know a little bit more like family history and really connecting with him as 
someone who printed for most of his life uh, or who was in the book, like book publishing business, uh, I'd say like it's really dear and also really something I cherish, uh, something I never expected. Even though I, I knew I visited the shops when I was little and I would like apparently sit down and like watch the binders do their thing or like I'm sure I like stole things, some paper. I'm sure I hid around. I know they don't want to talk about it. I'm sure there's pictures. I want to find pictures of me doing mischievous things in those places. <laughs> but um, I'd say like letterpress, this, I, I mentioned this a lot, but like there's a catharsis to it for me. It's like the smell of the ink. Every ink in every technique is completely different and the smells you know, smelling is a big part of printmaking. Sometimes you got to check your rag if it's the right the right solvent or not, uh, which is not good. You shouldn't be huffing that. But <laughs> that's what you, you have to do because um, the rags are the same color. So how are you going to know? And letterpress is really just nice. I think having uh, the beautiful studio of PNCA with those beautiful windows and the sun. I mean, like, how can you not romanticize that and feel like I'm living this particular era of history and you're just like making it happen and it's it's really wonderful and getting you know dirty with lead uh you definitely always wash your hands before eating some fries um <laughs> you can yeah it's a surprisingly hard thing to remember after a 10-hour stint in the print surprisingly, surprisingly hard it's it's been i remember Yikes. one time I, I was printing all day and I was like, gosh, I'm tired. I finished, I cleaned up and I, I was with a friend. And so we went to get some fries and a hamburger as you do because greasy food is the best after a long day. Mm. And um, I was halfway eating this thing and I was like, oh, wow, I, I guess I'm going to get lead like poisoning at some point. In my life. <laughs> I hope not. But it, it really, I was just like aghast with myself that I'd forgotten. I like done everything. I tried to not forget not to clean the things because it's a communal space. And But I forgot to wash my hands. So uh, oopsies. And then after that incident, I I always remember it. So mm-hmm. got to make mistakes to learn from them. But letterpress is my love. Um, it's just, it's beautiful. I'm curious about this like time. It feels like a lot of stuff from printmaking come it's still like from when like printmaking started like a lot of the machines are still like human powered and like um based on like designs from i guess whenever when did the printing press start in the 1700s 1800s 1800s been um, gutenberg um i know this i took it back completely forgot it's fine but i was like curious about like does that like and then also using like all these like toxic old chemicals and stuff like that does that like relate to your interest in like the victorian era you're talking 1436 1436 all right my timing is way off so like i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna scrub that that question and and, like to be fair they claim gutenberg but i've heard things that it predated gutenberg it does it was a uh who's the guy that made the peanuts (laughs) Like somebody else was probably like some black person, right? Okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Gutenberg. I don't know how it went about it, but um, either like through the like the silk trade or something. But um, a lot of like in China, they had already equipment to do printmaking. Uh, it was just very different. So he took from that and just kind of um, I don't know how the word the right word 
right word for it, but just made it a little bit more efficient for what he was seeking to do, which was to reproduce the Bible. Um, yeah, you know, that's a good question. I had not connected how these um, old techniques and what I am like invested in right now, which is like Victorian era and vampire-esque things. Um, I'd say there's something to be, there's always something to be learned from the past. And it is interesting how every process or progress for lack of a better word in our history and our timeline, it's like, for example, where books started to become um, much more of a commonplace, not necessarily accessible, but just much more of a commonplace to write down things. People were saying, this is the, the end of oral history. This is the, they always talk about the end of something. And with letterpress, it was just like, it became obsolete at some point. Uh, letter like the letterpress that I'm using now became completely obsolete and people had to you know there was like developing technologies and change all of that so that it became obsolete and to think right now that it has been taken over by artists um, and become so niche and so wanted and so demanded and so desired is um, I'm not sure how that became to be you know I feel like sometimes artists just take what's been obsolete and rethink and reimagine ways of using them um because it's not obsolete really it's just obsolete to whatever it was servicing into um so i say like to look at letterpress as something that's so popular right now in my granddad in, in my granddad's timeline it became completely obsolete and part of the businesses his business downfalls was that the family didn't want to update those machines didn't want to update the way they were printing um, so I felt like he was really enthralled that I had taken up such a niche thing, such a thing that it was from his youth, you know, like he learned this when he was like 15 and he, he had no choice but to take over the family business when his dad died. So it's for him, I think he was like, oh, wow, how can you be interested in this? Like, this is, you know, ages ago, it's obsolete. And then a lot of wonderful conversations came about, but I'd say like, it's funny how things come back and forth and they're reimagined. I think it's interesting that like, and it's one of the things that I'm fascinated with printmaking about because like these things are not really obsolete. They've just been replaced by these kind of like digital technologies, right? But of the two, the analog versus the digital, one of these is kind of, has the potential to, to outlast everything, I think. And that's kind of why I'm attracted to like the printmaking process because it's analog, but it's still even now so very advanced that if we were for some reason kind of like, you know, thrust into this, um, this dystopic world, zombie apocalypse, <laughs> the, the, print, the printing presses would still be like, would still exist. They would still be workable. Like we could still have them. So I don't know. I just always think of that. So. The gum, totally. zombie gazette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd say like um, in certain places when like all these presses are just like laying about, they have been like completely constructed into something else. Because uh, sometimes, you know, all these digital equipment and like new technologies are completely not accessible. So what else do you have but to have a printer or a letterpress 
And so seeing how that has become so punk and so like for the revolution in a lot of these other places, it's really, um, it's nice to see like letterpress specifically be recontextualized because it was both a tool of liberation and a tool of oppression uh, for many different instances. So I, I agree with you. I think I never had thought about it, but yeah, these machines will definitely, I mean, they, they weigh like tons. Yes. They will definitely like be in the ground. Nothing might happen to them unless they fall, but like, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. One question that I've, I've been curious about that you kind of like touched on, um, but I'm curious to hear more about is like your inspiration of uh, storytelling of your grandmothers. Um, that's something you kind of like pointed to in a, a couple of different moments. And I'm just curious about like, like how, like how that inspires you and like what ways and like what like some of those stories were. And um, yeah, like I guess that aspect of your art. I'd say, um... So my maternal grandma, she she's quite a storyteller in that she repeats or she retells uh, history, like familiar history or familiar history in context of like Mexico as a nation. And a lot of, you know, she sung a lot of the revolutionary song, sorry, the songs that were happening through the revolution as a child, as lullabies. She will retell how you know, her dad fled the revolution and somehow ended in the United States and came back and he was like, goodbye mom and I'm gonna go for tortillas and he never came back for like 30 years. And it's, you know, it's quite like enthralling listening to those stories as a child. It's very like entertaining, but at the same time you get a sense of like the nation that you're, you're, you're like were born to. And also like all these, bits and pieces of history like especially in the revolution that even though it's like over 100 years ago they still pertain uh both in like the issues that we're trying to refix during the revolution and the things that have not changed so and in in a similar way but completely different my paternal grandma she will tell us incredibly immersive and imaginative stories she she has her own language in some regard. She, the way she speaks Spanish, she, or the way she just speaks, she makes up words for things. Um, my nickname, Akahukes, came from that. She, one of my cousins uh, couldn't pronounce my name, who is my sa same age as me. So she called me Akaha, and my grandma just took it and she uh, nicknamed me Akahukes, which is all my handles. Um, and I really, you know, she only calls me that. My, and my grand, and sorry, my grandma and my dad call me that. Um, so it's really interesting to see these two grandmothers who part partake in a lot of like oral history and in such different styles. And one having a grandma who either retells or repeats stories as a way of like education, but also entertainment, and one that continues to imagine different worlds and. I mean, totally do like world building and also challenging the ways that what things are named. Um, and partially because like she either forgets or she's just like, I have a better word for it than what it's given. So I'm just kind of calling it that. And I'd say like those two are really fundamental blocks to how I imagine things and like do world building in my brain. Um, and I'd say like it's, they're both, 
like really essential. One is having like the context and history of things and the other is being able to recontextualize it and reimagine it. So I say like those two things really influence me and um, it's always really comforting I say like to listen to my grandmas speak and even though they've told the same stories many times I'm like please say it again like even though I'm 25 or something like please like just let me reimagine myself being a child like listening to it and it brings me a lot of comfort because I really like just want to spend time with them and oral histories is just the way to go and they feel like they're listened to and, and cherished. And uh, what do you have planned going forward in terms of your art and your work? <laughs> oh my, I'd say, um, well, I'll start with this. Uh, seeing the Louis Bourgeois show uh, at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum or gallery at PSU really got me in awe because um, she did a lot of printmaking. Oh, she also was working with like print shops and just seeing this artist who I've, I've admired for so long and kind of know much more of printmaking as I did before, as I did before, know much more of printmaking now um, and having like context of how these things work. It's like really amazing. And it's just like when you understand the language of painting, let's just say like a drawing, you you're able to take in so much more um and that really got me thinking of a few things just pondering like how can we present books or how can we present um these containers these publications these containers of uh ideas and creativity differently in a public space like a gallery or how does it live outside of a gallery so i've just been thinking of that um and i at the moment, I can't, I haven't really done my due diligence and in looking into other artists who have done this, uh, although it will be helpful. It's like, sometimes it's nice to just like be in wonderment or like, how can, how can you really do that? Because um, sometimes a book is an individual experience rather than a collective one, unless you get together and read the, the, the content and share ideas. It's really your initial experience is individual. Uh, how do you change that? How do you make book as a sculpture much bigger? Does the scale matter? Um, how do you make it interactive? How do you invite people in? Because sometimes in the gallery, they're like, I can't touch it. And then you're like, but you can touch it. And they're like, Ugh. they feel unsure, you know, unless they have white gloves. But it's like, I don't, why do I care about white gloves? Even though I spend a lot of time making this, I want it to be worn. I want it to be used. I want it to be touched. Um, it's like holding two things too precious that it's almost like, what's the point of not using it? Um, so I'd say like, I've really been considering that as a way of what's my next adventure. Um, of course, like I often think of prints and especially now that I've gotten a lot more experience with uh, just anything intaglio or etching, I'm curious about it, but I still just go back to letterpress. I, I, I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, I just I feel like I could do it all the time. I say that not doing it all the time, but we'll see if that ever changes. <laughs> um, so I'd say like those are my next steps right now. It's just wonderment and really considering how can you bring the book into a much bigger scale, not just physically, but like in experience and it it being a collective 
like embodiment or just reading um especially in like spaces like a gallery and like how does it function outside of that do you just you know like uh in our neighborhood we have a little like library like I don't I, I sometimes just peep in in hopes of something that we'll like but the people around here are just not that like. <laughs> so it's always like there's a glimmer of hope that will find something I like but it's it's not often true um so I'd say like those are the things that I'm just considering right now and we'll see where it takes me um but you know like anything sometimes it starts by like staring at the wall and just being like maybe maybe I'll do something today and then you just keep staring at the wall <laughs> so do you collect books I wouldn't I wouldn't say collect books um I collect paper um I'd say notebooks for sure I collect notebooks I like I feel like I put a lot of my memories down on paper in lists, like uh, taxonomies of like, you know, this year I was really thinking about, oh, maybe uh, it would be nice for me to write everything that I've watched. Uh, like just a list of the things I watch per month, not necessarily dating things, just like a list and then go back to it um, as a sort of archive. Um, and say like, I'm slowly, like I, I always appreciate having a physical copy of a book that I can do, you know, uh, scribble upon and, and make notes. Um, oh, maybe I do, I'm like looking at my, my bookshelf. I'm like, maybe I do collect books. Maybe that's a lie. Maybe I think <laughs> I don't. Um, I gifted books a lot, which is very kind. And I'd say like, uh, obviously coming from a family who was in publishing, we do have a lot of books. However, I often feel like those are not my books or not necessarily like a property, but I often feel like they don't always pertain to my interests. Um, so I, I feel very lucky to have them, but it's, I don't open them. Uh, I don't investigate them very often. So I feel kind of distanced from them. Um, but I'd say notebooks are the one thing I collect and at the same time, the one thing I let go of the most. What artists are on your radar right now? Who are you looking at? I feel like right now I'm just immersed in like different print shops. Like what does Gemini, uh, Gemini do and Tamarind and Crown Point Press? Uh, mostly because it, it there's just part of the conversation of like our everyday work life yeah. so it's really interesting to see how they all started um even though i don't have quite those stories yet it's like slowly getting to know them and the artists that come and go through through them and you know whose um career started with that press and they continue to be in that press you know um so in rather in that regard i'd say like a lot of print shops uh, a lot of my brain is just been like print shop talk. Yeah. Uh, but one artist in particular that I continue to be really enthralled in is um, Claudia de la Torre. She is from Mexico City, but has is based in Berlin. And her publications or um, the name of her business is Bone, I think it's Bone Back Books. And Backbone books. Hold on. I need. I got it wrong. 
the other time we talk. So I feel like I got to get it right this time. It's called uh, Backbone Books, Artist Books and Editions. And I, the reason why I'm so um, kind of invested in, in, into this is partly because how she runs her business or how she runs her studio as a communal space or a space where she invites other folks to partaking a craft that they don't often do or have either little experience or are really well-versed in it. And I really am, am I feel like I'm attracted to that because it's a different venue of having a press or having a publishing business where you don't go through a gallery, you don't go through a museum, and it's mostly just artists in conversation and peers in conversation and makers in conversation. And I'm really interesting of interested in how she goes about it. Also, her exhibitions have me really interested in how she presents books. Um, like just having a set of books, just one idea concurrently throughout the space. And how do you present that to an oncoming people of oncoming group of people? And how do you communicate those things? Not just by reading them, but like how do you communicate the language of like book making? Yeah. Um, so I'd say like I am very interested in in what she's doing and um, I I my plan at some point is to reach out to her and just be like, can I, can we talk? Like, please. I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, I really, um, I feel like if I, after that initial conversation and if she is down for it, I would love to be just, hey, can I see you for a week or two? Mm -hmm. um, is this possible? Probably not this year, probably not for many years, but like, can we do it at some point? Or even if it's online. But yeah, I, I really love to have a conversation with her and she's had a few interviews, but sadly they're all in German. And um, so there's definitely that of a barrier. Um, but yeah, we'd love to talk to her. Now time for the segment, um, y'all could have kept that, um, which is a special segment for where we discuss something um, in which someone gives, uh, something that no one asked for. Um, in this case, Aaliyah, who has been often- Oh my God, Chris Brown, sorry. Wait, you're getting ahead of us, Max. <laughs> so Aaliyah, who's been often memorialized and obsessed about um, in, in our culture, um, who passed away 20, has it been 20 years? Has it been that long? No, not quite. Um, Oh, 21 years. It's been 21 years since she died. Um, they have decided um, to do a posthumous album, which will feature, um, you would think it would feature such well-known artists such as Missy, mm -hmm. Sierra, mm -hmm. Tiana, Tinashe, Tinashe, Normani, like people who would make sense. Would you two like to guess who's actually in the album? Chris Brown. Who's in the album? <laughs> Chris Brown, Snoop, Drake, Neo, Future, and The Weeknd. Some of the people that hate women the most <laughs> were to be in this fucking album. <laughs> All right, so on a scale of um, one to 10, 
Um, one being, um, you know, whatever, I don't care, to 10 being this is ridiculous and it should not exist. Where do you guys rate this one? 20, I mean, <laughs> I mostly because it's just like, how is this being handled? And as someone who uh, came to know or like to listen or to learn about Elias' music much later, not necessarily grew up with it in like culture-wise, it's just like really in awe of like, why would you do this? And what's your intention behind it? Like, is this just a money grab, um, you know? And like uh, Max said, like, yeah, they're really handing this project off to the people that hate women the most. Um, but is it to like fetishize her? Is it to completely continue to exploit her? And I feel like it's just like, it's just gross. Everything about this is just gross. Yeah. It's like grimy, it's like, yeah. I don't know how to explain it. This I, don't, is I feel like don't have eloquent words, sorry. I mean, this isn't the first time Aaliyah and her work has come up in this particular segment. And I remember the last time we discussed it, it was talking about Normani's use um, as a sample and her uncle who apparently has like, who controls all the rights to her music, sort of, you know, making a comment. And Max, you mentioned like one of your defenses of being so protective over her content was that like, well, you don't want just anybody to be able to put out, you know, her music. Um, and I think this is a really good example of this. <laughs> like, I try not to judge people, but come on, this lineup, the fact that they didn't even think to ask Missy, like, where's Missy in this? Missy, who's actually, who was, worked side by side with Aaliyah, like in her heyday, like, where's Sierra? Where are any of the people who actually could maybe contribute something significant to this album? So for me, it's definitely like, you know, 10 plus, 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 plus. I'm just pissed that this got greenlit and it passed through however many hands and people are okay with this. Like, yeah, I, the, the lineup's ridiculous. I can't, it seems like a joke. Like, I can't believe Chris Brown is on a fucking Aaliyah record. That's wild. It's wild. On it too? Like, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Wow. It, it's it's just I guess like the only thing I gotta say it's like it seems that we're entering this era of like content of remakes or regenerating from previous content like just in shows in general and I wonder if that has anything to, to do with this you know like um, just like in general yeah yeah that's what I, that's something I'm, I've been wondering about it's kind of like a tangent but it's like as like people like live longer do we start just like recycling through things more and like nostalgia comes up more i feel like it was for the baby boomers and now like even for like millennials now like we're like kind of like bringing back nostalgia like certain shows um certain like artists or certain like movies or whatever it's like this idea that's like oh we can just like bring it back um, but then to come back in this way and i still feel like so divorced from like what alia was about ridiculous i guess my question is like is it like the this idea of like nostalgia and like bringing it back or is it just a like a way to segregate us from like world building and like you know just providing platforms for like new ideas 
because I, I feel like sometimes it feels like that way I think there's like a really big difference between like a remake from like 50 years ago and to movies now and versus like this was 20 years ago 10 years ago and they're just remaking it now yeah so I, I I don't know I I get the sense that it's just a way of um continuing to like chip off or continue to feed or eat from that hand that gives um in the same idea and yeah I just I'm like why are there there's so many remakes right now or extensions of things so many like remakes of things that were actually already remakes (laughs) it's ridiculous it is and I yeah I've just been wondering like um wondering if it's just another way of being like this is a safe idea this has been shown before let's just remake it and yeah rebranded and versus just investing in new ideas uh because like maybe it's like the reality tv thing like Mm. we didn't see this influx of reality tv because reality tv is so good we saw the influx because it's like cheaper to make them and they don't have to hire as much staff so they just forced the industry (laughs) like flooded the industry with them so that people were forced to like it because it was just economically more sound. Maybe that's why they're doing all the remakes because you don't have to pay real writers to, to make these things. No offense to the writers of these remakes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like it is that. And then like, I wonder if like, you know, if you own a catalog of somebody's, it's like you, every time you re-release it, it kind of like, increases the value of the catalog it's like oh yeah let, let's keep this like fresh in people's mind and then you know Aaliyah songs will be in movies again or yeah getting more like royalties or like a way of just like keeping your property lucrative or keeping revenue streams coming in or something I don't know yeah but still it's still such a wild lineup I was like what have y'all heard the weekend song that was released Mm-mm. it was not good y'all I <laughs> not fully i've gotten bits from tiktok um <laughs> as one does and it's just it's I, I don't know what to say i think um how did this happen <laughs> well it's like i like i asked that but like i know because there's power in a lot of that but it's just gross it's just gross yeah i still can't believe that's like everything that's going on in the world like r kelly finally like um getting it like come up is in relationship to Aaliyah but then you still put like somebody like Chris Brown on a record it's like that sounds so like fucked up I guess too and it's just like make that make sense I guess like my question is like how for someone who like unfortunately passed away so young um with a legacy how does that legacy continue and translate to new generations? Um, and also how, like, both how do you keep it alive? And what are like, I guess it just depends on who has power over that legacy or who that legacy is handed to. And um, I guess it's interesting to see that even like trans- translated into artists as well and their legacy. Yeah. Um, but it's just unfortunate of how things are handled and like can the crowd have like a say in this you know I'm sure there's some pushback but how does it even I don't know I'm I'm boggled by the music industry like any industry but yeah that's I mean it's just like yeah does it go to your like if you die suddenly it goes to your like 
next relative or whatever like along with like whatever belongings well, so this is wild to think about like your estate like so basically you have to figure out who gets all your shit when you die right but i'm saying like like say you die without like doing that paperwork right isn't yeah. it automatically like next of kin or something and yeah then it goes to like some uncle that may not have even been like cool with you or like even supported you and is now like making like millions of dollars off of you i'm not saying that's the case with like a leah but i'm saying like i'm sure in some scenarios like the person in charge now like may not have even been cool with somebody or even like us as like all artists like you know if we were to die suddenly and then some relative we were never cool with starts like treating our art or like you know marketing it or like making it like this is going to be on like mcdonald's uh you know okay. uh, food bags or something <laughs> well, because i'm getting really creeped out about like parts of my family that should not have ever have access to my work yeah, but it's wild to think about. It's like, oh yeah, somebody that like I don't even fuck with at all could end up being in charge of like my legacy or like yeah. dictating like how my art exists in the world. It just it's so gross to think that like this there's a whole album that could possibly come that come out if there's not enough pushback with Chris Brown and Future on it. Like, really? That's what we're doing? And like, like, how is that okay? I was saying, like, who's, like, yeah, so out of touch or, like, again, like, I don't know, I'm sure it's some fucking man or something, but it's uh, wild. To, to revive. Do y'all know what the title of the album is set to be? Mm. Is it in the article? Yeah, it is. Oh, Unstoppable? Unstoppable. Yeah. yeah. That's the name of the album. That's gross. I'm doing, like... <laughs> Like yeah. every part of this just really grosses me out. <laughs> like, um, I still can't believe that. I'm just trying. I don't want to say. Oh wait, did you give a score, Max? Um, my score is it's not for me. It's gonna be a no for me. It's gonna be a no for <laughs> no, me, dog. One to ten. <laughs> um, about how upset I am. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Ten. Okay. All right. Ten to ten. Ten to the tenth power. All right. I'm just, I'm still like flabbergasted. I'm just floored. It's um, set to be released this month. So I'm hoping that someone stops Unstoppable because. Like when it comes out, are you going to listen to it? No. Not even just to see? Nope. Not even curious? Nope. No. Not curious. I heard half of the weekend song. I'm good. Oh, Poison? Yeah. I haven't heard it. I'll have to check it out. No, let me know if you get through the whole song. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all could have kept that. And now it's time for... Just the Facts with Max. I'm stating facts, 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 facts. The Oregon Lash Law. This exclusion law against Black people sort to achieve this one goal. Blacks in Oregon, be they free or slave, man or woman, be whipped twice a year up to 39 lashed until he or she shall quit the territory i'm stating facts 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 wow max that is incredible where do you get these factoids from like it's just something different every week i have a really rare encyclopedia that i reference 
You just pulled this off the dome, like out of nowhere? Out of somewhere. The ether um, connection to my daemon. Um, a struck of lightning. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time for parting words. Um, Max, you go first. Um, yeah, thank you. Shout out all of our listeners. Um, shout out everybody that supports NTP. Um, I hope everybody's rocking to a cool 2022. Um, <laughs> shout out Melanie, co-hosting, amazing as always. Um, always fun, always joking, excited for all the things we have coming up. And of course, um, thank you to our guest, Alejandra. Um, it's really cool talking to you, hanging out with you, learning more about you. Um, it's been really fun. So yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this. And those are my parting words. Yeah. Um, my parting words, thank you, Alejandra, for joining us on this random Saturday afternoon um, and talking to us about your work and, and chiming in on some pop culture stuff. That's always fun. <laughs> um, thank you, Max, as always. You're a great co-host and you, you keep me on track because I've, I've been going through a lot of brain fog I don't know why so thank you for keeping the structure um everybody else um look out for NTP stuff this year um we're coming back and we're coming strong with some new things some new interesting things um and yeah that's it for me Alejandra you take us out <laughs> a lot of pressure um thank you so much max and melanie natural project uh you're both really wonderful people to chat with and get to know in more and more and um i just feel really lucky to be like a peer and um just be within the same circles as you both uh i really admire it and um no thank you for indulging me in like paper and print making things uh not that i already don't talk enough about it <laughs> Uh, I really do enjoy it. So uh, thank you for indulging me in that. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. <laughs>